Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Thank you for joining us wherever you are around Australia or around the world. Your continued support means the world as we continue to bring you interviews and golf information from around the world with people who love golf about their love of golf. Joining us this week all the way from the town of Canmore, Alberta, Canada, which is in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, is Australian golf broadcaster of the last 20 years, the one and only Luke Elvey. As you'll hear, Luke started his golf broadcast career in Australia before making the leap to the big stage in the US, where he has called golf on the grandest of the game stages. Most recently, we've had the pleasure of hearing Luke call both the recent majors, the PGA from Oak Hill and the US Open from the Los Angeles Country Club, as well as the Ripper GC channel for Live Golf Adelaide. Luke is one of the most passionate professional golf people I've had the pleasure of getting to know personally since we met in 2019. So I hope you enjoyed this catch up with Luke, which we recorded on Friday prior to the kickoff of Live Andalusia. And thank you again for taking the time to tune in. It's always a massive help if you subscribe to the My Love of Golf podcast wherever you get your podcast. So why not share this episode with a friend? But right now, sit back, relax and enjoy my catch up with Australia's very own international golf broadcaster, Luke Helvey. Luke Elvey, welcome. Well, I could say welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. So I'm going to say welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. And uh, you can help me explain why I'm saying welcome back. The, our listeners on the podcast would have never heard you on this podcast before. They've heard you everywhere else, of course, all around the golf uh, broadcasting and media world for the last 20, 30 years. Um, but why am I saying welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast, uh, Luke? Yeah, hello, Ross. Uh, lovely to chat to you again, mate. And um, it was great to see you in person in Adelaide around the live event. It was a spectacular week for Australian golf, wasn't it? Yeah, we did a podcast about, what, early COVID times. Uh, I think it would have been during the week of when the Masters was. And, uh, you know, we ended up having a glorious fall Masters. That was one of the most joy- joyful weeks I've had in broadcasting. Uh, but because of my role broadcasting the Masters, um, <clears throat> the CBS wouldn't allow that to go uh, in publicly, but not that there was anything critical said or whatever. It's just that that's the relationship they've got that they want to protect that, you know, anything that they haven't pre-authorised shouldn't go public. It was a great idea at the time and it was a, it was obviously a difficult time because it was obviously right on the, the start of that whole COVID period and the Masters mm. was about to be... Um, delayed and that sort of thing so we had this great mm. chat and it was fantastic we had rocket on board and 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 it was great but it was a great it still remains in the uh, file there as a great a great unpublished episode and maybe one day in the fullness of time we might use snippets of that or something who knows but mate it's been yeah. a it's been a journey for uh, golf uh, uh, golf media and golfers since then let's talk about the masters we'll just keep talking about the masters for a second um you know that masters that came to bear back i think it was november i got transferred to november yep. exactly yep. right november 2020 it was a different masters and, and you were there um mm. you know t- talk us through what your experience was not only just at that masters but some of your great masters moments that we all maybe remember and can never have enough time recounting well firstly i wasn't there i oh, actually broadcast masters from my basement here in the canadian rockies there you go. Uh, i moved to canada uh full-time in 2015 i'd been broadcasting back and forth some of your audience might remember me from hosting golf in australia uh prior to that i was hosting fox sports news for a decade <clears throat> look it was a a big move you know to, to relocate my wife's hometown here in the canadian rockies a beautiful little spot called canmore right outside the banff national park gates um just stunning and easy to commute to all the American tournaments, which I was doing a ton of, uh, let's say from 2013 through to the, the pandemic hitting. Um, that 
Masters I adored because of the golden hour that we got to see that you never get to see Augusta National in that light. Uh, it was around about sort of five to 6.30 p.m. There would be this, this golden light that would sit atop the beautiful Georgian pines and the dogwoods. Uh, you, you didn't see the azaleas in bloom because they don't in November. They bloom in the spring. It was just different ways to see it. People talked about or lamented the fact that it was a softer uh, Masters because DJ was able to shoot 20 under. Cam Smith, who was runner-up, uh, alongside Sung Jae-in, shot four rounds in the 60s, the very first man to do it. People sort of said it didn't feel like the Masters because you didn't have the awesome crowds and the roars. Uh, but to me, it was just as special as all the others. And, again, a real treat to see Augusta National in that light. Uh, to answer your question on the greatest, fondest memories for me, um, I'll try and go through it chronologically. My first Masters was 2010. Uh, that was Tiger's comeback after the infidelities. Uh, I called that tournament uh, for, for Fox Sports, and it was amazing to be around this venue that I dreamt of, uh, you know, since I was a wee lad at six or seven years of age when I first got exposed to it. My first true memory of the Masters was a Jack winning in 86, uh, I was 10 years old at that stage. Then obviously the bitter disappointment the following year with Norman. But my first real one broadcasting it for Australian television was the following year in 2011. And of course, at that stage, no Australian had ever won the Masters. And we had Jason Day and Adam Scott push right to the very end. And we thought one of them was going to win. In fact, even Jeff Ogilvie, when he came off the course and got interviewed, he said, look, this is because he tied fourth with Tiger. He said, look, this is getting really exciting. I'm going to go out and watch the finish because I think one of our guys is going to finally get the green jacket. Obviously, we know the story that Charles Schwartz will flash home with four straight birdies, an unprecedented four straight birdies uh, over the final four holes to, to steal it off uh, the back of Adam Scott and Jason Day, who we thought may have gone into a playoff. Um, then, obviously, Scotty wins in 2013, and then the world changes for Australia Augusta uh, ever since. That's, uh, with the exception of Tiger Woods winning in 2019, um, which I had the privilege hosting holes 15 and 16 of calling his go-ahead birdie on 15 and then the near hole in one on 16, which they ended up using in that uh, Tiger documentary series on HBO, Michael uh, over uh, Vern Lundquist. But it was a very special moment to be able to be go up after he's putted out on 16, greenside, and, and feel that energy that was created by his victory and, and you know, that the hairs standing up on your arms, the back of your neck, and and, and everything that this guy had been through. Um, a backstory for me is a Tiger. I've been following him since I was 10 years old. Uh, I'm 18 days younger than him. I've known his story, you know, very intimately right throughout. I, I didn't go to university, but he's, you know, basically been my thesis in life is studying Tiger. And to finally see him win and call that, you know, return to glory moment, uh, that'll be probably the most special thing I get to do in my career. But to then be greenside and then be a couple of yards away when he's picking up Charlie and hugging him and his family and that moment of just mag magnetism, uh, that'll live with me for the rest of my life. Who are the, the influences in and around that uh, whole commentary team? I, I'm going to guess that Ian Baker Finch has been one of the biggest influences you know through your career i think you're in business mm. with uh finchie now yeah. talk, talk to mm. us about you know just that i guess influence on of uh one of australia's greatest ever golfers um on you and your career and and where you are now well finchie's more a mentor and friend my my real influence was jim nance um yeah. you know i had two two sort of influences in the media um Mike Gibson, who used to host Wide World of Sports on Channel 9, 
back in the 80s, 90s, uh, and then Jim Nance for broadcasting as a front man, host, play-by-play, which I am. Uh, they were my two main people in in television that I sort of idolised and looked up to and tried to model myself off. Um, Ian, it was just one of those beautiful things where when I was asked to front golf in Australia with Network 10, uh, they said, well, we'd like to build a team around you. Who do you think should be on it? And I said, well, listen, uh, Ian Baker Finch is the no-brainer given that he's, you know, on a, on American television every week broadcasting, you know, the PGA Tour. And Wayne Grady, who at that time was a regular voice on the European Tour, both of the major champions. And within about half an hour of our first broadcast, uh, I dropped this nugget on air, you know, deep history of the Australian Open, and Finchie sort of turned off, turned and looked at me and went, oh, wow, where did that come from type thing? He didn't say this on air, but he just said, wow, that's really impressive. Um, and I said, well, I may have done a little bit of research. You know, I didn't want to stuff up my first big gig broadcasting Australian golf, particularly the Australian Open. And he said, look, it's Thursday at about two in the afternoon. <laughs> Not many people are watching. Save that goal to Sunday when you've got a much bigger audience. And I learned very quickly then from Finchie that, you know, he was going to be a great uh, ally for me. And look, the biggest moment for me was probably a year later. We were having a dinner after either the PGA or Australian Open, and he just said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm living my dream. You know, I'm broadcasting Australian golf. I get to commentate on the Australians on the PGA Tour during major season over in the States. Like, this is as good as it gets for me. He said, look, you're you're awfully good at what you do. You should be over in the States doing it there because that's the big audience. And he basically, you know, introduced me to – all, all and sundry in the US media and really helped me make that transition across to North American television and uh, particularly the, you know, the big companies like CBS, which has, you know, been a, something that I'll be forever indebted to Finchie for. But recently when I started this new business of indoor golf simulator sports bar, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and he was my very first investor. He said, Luke, phenomenal idea. I want in. I named the top floor after him. It's called Finchie's Bar and Grill here at Cangolf. And, um, you know, we've been able to, I've been able to sort of honour him back for everything he's meant to me in my life. But, you know, he's one of the all-time great Australians, not just in golf, but just in in sports because, uh, you know, he has the most beautiful nature about him. He's a kind, generous, wonderful man, but he was also a champion and continues to be a lovely voice for the game globally. Let's keep talking about some of those uh, great Australians. And you, know, you mentioned Masters moments in 2013. Uh, it's just gone 10 years of Adam Scott's win. You know, when you think about the longevity that Scotty continues to have now, he, he's not a, a senior player on tour, but he's certainly been doing it. For, well, I guess he is a senior player on tour. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's the chairman of the board chairman now. Of the board. He's, he's uh, 42 and life's different for Scotty. He's still playing fantastic golf. And that's why I wanted just to quickly touch on Scotty and his longevity and, and just his st- statesman role in, in the game mm-hmm. i had the pl- um, pleasure and privilege of uh being a fly on the wall for the australian golf digest magazine interview um that evan priest and the guys from australian golf digest did for scotty f- to celebrate the 10-year anniversary and just i was videoing it for them i had there i was there on on the spot with a camera yep. and got to hear him talk through that whole interview mm-hmm. uh and all of the moments that he recounted that yeah, they were able to turn into that interview, and it was just obviously one of those for me, uh, not being in the media, uh, a great, right. a great experience. Uh, yeah, he continues to be a phenomenal golfer and perform at the highest level. What is it about Scotty that you love? I think the question should be, what is it about Scotty that I don't love, yeah. which is nothing. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know, we we joke about 
there hasn't been a perfect human since Jesus Christ, but you know, <laughs> I think Adam Scott is awfully bloody close. He's just an incredible fella. He is a man's man. He is a great friend to his friends. He's close friends from Australia. He's never, you know, forgotten them. In fact, a lot of them still travel to watch him play in majors. And he, you know, he funds all of their experiences and whatever. Um, he is just a uh, a gentleman. Uh, the way he plays the game is so, you know, people adore the swing and the, just the nature of who he is and how he goes about it. His first instinct when he won that green jacket in 2013 was come on Aussie. You know, when he made that massive putt on 18 that he thought he'd won it in regulation, come on Aussie. Like he thinks of his nation before himself in the biggest moment of his life because he knew how big that would be for his country. And then for him to sit down and go, you know, I can't believe that my legacy will end up being the guy that first won Australia, it's green jacket. And he's the humility that comes through from him. And to be honest, I think he's just the most perfect person to be involved as the chairman of the PGA tour board right now, the player advisory board, because of the way he is, he, he doesn't play that divisive political nature that you see in the States where if you're not on my side, you're against me. Mm. It's like, no, it's just golf, guys. They're all just playing golf. Um, people have travelled all around the world to play golf for money for a long, long time. Uh, if you don't like where money comes from, that's your you know, issue. But it's not the player's issue. Their job is just to go out there and do what they do to the best of their ability. And right now, he's the perfect guy to be chairing the PGA Tours board because he will ensure that the players get the absolute best out of this and that they don't get that situation where they're being controlled like they were before, mm -hmm. and that was always Phil Mickelson's um, uh, issue, and that's why he went out and sort of went spoke up against the tour, and now you'll start to see a lot more players do that, uh, which is fascinating. But, you know, it's about time that the players started to get what they truly deserve because they are the talent, not the PGA Tour, not Liv, not the European Tour, not the Australian PGA of Australia or Golf Australia. It's the people that play the game at the highest level. They are the product. And they'll always be the product. Mm. Now, we've obviously started to talk about it. So let's continue, I guess, down this line for a moment. Um, you know, there's a lot going on right now. There has been so much going on with this Live PJ Tour and the evolution of that. When we spoke at uh, in Adelaide, at Live Golf Adelaide, uh, had a great catch up. It was a different landscape to what we're talking about now and it's evolved very quickly you know what we didn't know it was evolving in the background maybe at that time um mm -hmm. and it continues to evolve overnight you know we've got the uh, live golf uh, andalusia um, which is now known at live golf andalusia they've got announced their five-year partnership with the region yeah. of andalusia in uh, spain uh, that to me signifies a fairly strong commitment of live golf yeah. uh, they've announced a strategic um, sustainability plan in the last 24, 48 hours, uh, five-year plan with a whole web of um, initiatives behind that, a fairly significant and comprehensive plan. It continues to live golf, continues to push along as if it's not going anywhere. And then we've got, obviously, on the PGA Tour side, the messaging coming out of there that PGA Tour is in control um, or will be in control of the Nuco golf system, all of that sort of stuff. Where, what's your take at the moment on where we where we land? Yeah. You can't answer it in a sentence, but we might, we may as well talk about it because... I, I, as you know, and anyone who follows me on Twitter, uh, I've been very vocal from the start. This has not been about politics for me. It's mm. simply been about people playing golf for money, which is what professional golf is. 
people keep saying, oh, you've got no heart, you've got no compassion, you're a Saudi shill, you you support blood money, all these divisive things where I'm like, no. You know what I support? You know what I love? Is people that are so good at this game, they've got their name on their bag and thousands of people go to tournaments to watch them play and millions of people watch them worldwide to do what they do. And that is why I'm a golf broadcaster solely now. I was an all-sports guy up until 2010, but I went golf-specific from that moment because golf is my greatest of passions in in sports, even though I love all sports. Um, And I want to tell the great stories of the game. Now, when Phil Mickelson left to go to live, when Brooks Kepka left to go to live, or Dustin Johnson, or Cameron Smith, or Sergio Garcia, or Lee Westwood, or Ian Poulter, or all, all these people that had achieved sensational things in their career, did they stop being the same person they were? Of course not. We've seen it with the way that they've all performed magnificently through the majors. They've been stars. In fact, live golfers have probably performed better than most of the PGA Tour pros in majors. Um So I kept saying, don't ridicule or rubbish these people for just making a straight business decision. That's all they've done. The PGA Tour has made a business decision recently to partner with the same organisation that they denounced for 12 months. And I absolutely struggled with the hypocrisy of it all back at the start, and that was what I was very quick to call out, is that a lot of big businesses in the United States Their government, for goodness sakes, one of the top trading partners of Saudi Arabia is the United States of America. So if it's all right for government and it's all right for elite businesses, Fortune 500 companies to make money off the Saudis, why was it not for male professional golfers? It was before when they hosted the Saudi International. It was on the DP World Tour. It wasn't about where the money was coming from. It was about the potential of the establishment, which is the PGA Tour and DP World Tour, losing power and control. And all I was prepared to do was point that out. (laughs) And now we've seen with Monaghan coming back and doing a deal with the Saudis to try and get some of that money that they know is never going to go away because money of that magnitude will never lose. Look what's happened. And everything that I said for 12 months is come to fruition. It happened faster than I thought it would. I knew there'd be a coming together down the track because we've seen it with World Series cricket in Australia and the Rugby League Super uh, uh, Super League War that I um, lived through in the the, mid-90s. There had to be a coming back together because you cannot have a divisive talent. You can't have some of the best players in the world over there and some of the best players in the world over here. And all I, like Greg Norman being my childhood hero uh, as a player, all I ever agreed with with Greg the whole time was there should be one unified global golf tour. So nations like Australia get fed because we uh, develop all this talent and it goes over to America and we don't get to benefit from any of it. We jump up and down and go, how good's this when a President's Cup comes to our shores once every nine years or eight years or 10 years or whatever it is because that's all we get. But we should be able to see the best of the best like the Australian Open tennis does. Hmm. The way that the tennis tour works globally, in my opinion, is the right model. People don't seem to agree with that, but that's just my opinion. And Japan, how much would they benefit if Hideki Matsuyama played in a big event on home soil with all the best players every year? Be enormous. Same with what's going on in Asia. Same with what's going back in Europe. I mean, Europe is a shadow of its former self. You talk about the great Ian Baker Finch and Wayne Grady and people like Greg Norman who played in the 80s and 90s over there. It was a mega tour 
back then. That was a that was a just a galaxy of stars then. And now it's like you watch the European tour events, mm-hmm. the limits are way stronger. Mm-hmm. Way stronger. And what we saw in Adelaide, that was the cornerstone moment. That was what forced Jimmy Dunn and Ed Herrerly, who were the two PGA Tour board members who are of significant uh, standing in the game, members of Augusta National, Seminole, Cypress Point, big, big top end of town businessmen as well. They turned to Jay and said, you've got to do something about this because this is not going to survive going up against this because Adelaide showed that other parts of the world care for this product and it changed the game. And and what did it take him uh, three months after that to do the deal? It's been phenomenal since then just to be a fly on the wall and you know not be part of it, just to watch it and be able to talk about it occasionally. Um, it still was divisive. It's divisive in my own podcast team, um, as you know. Uh, the thought that people challenge me on, I'm not challenged by it, but the thought that, you know, one sovereign nation can potentially control the entire entirety of, our sp- of the sport. Um, mm. uh, does that resonate with you? Do, do, do you think that that's well, no, the because that... it's that the control's the wrong word. They're invested. Mm. They're invested heavily into Formula One. They're invested heavily into football now because they've gone and bought Cristiano Ronaldo and a couple of other big superstars, but they own Newcastle United. They're invested heavily into Worldwide Wrestling Federation because they've now bought exclusive rights for a billion dollars. They're invested heavily into golf. They want to be invested into tennis. They're investing into things because they have spent the last 40 years making billions of dollars selling their resource to the world that the world adores, which is oil, and they've made billions of dollars. They've formed this fund and gone, well, we need to then repurpose our profits by diversifying our assets and investments. So they've gone and invested into all these companies and all these businesses, and they realise that sport is a massive thing. Now, what we learned and what a lot of people didn't see from the very start about this, they thought the Saudis want to buy golf. No, they don't want to buy golf. Their big plan is tourism. Their big plan is to make Saudi Arabia the new Dubai Mm. for the Middle East. That's their plan. They want tourism to be the thing that helps them get through when renewable energy starts to take over from oil and gas. Now, that might not happen in 30, 40, 50 years, but it doesn't matter. They'll be set up in that respect to do it. So they've invested into all these other things. So people are more fascinated about Saudi Arabia. Um, Incredibly smart business decisions, by the way. These people aren't uh, just throwing stuff out there with billions of dollars and going, oh, we'll just buy stuff and see what comes of it. It's massively measured. It's a huge plan uh, started by the king of Saudi Arabia and uh, Mohammed bin Salman and now being uh, put into action by Yasser al Rumayn. So they've got this plan. It started in 2015, 2016, and they've been pushing towards this 2030 vision of making Saudi Arabia the tourism mecca of the Middle East. But people in golf feel like, no, they're buying and taking over and want to control golf. It's like, no, golf's a a, a blip on their radar of what they've got in mind. But all this money was coming into it. And look who got a piece of it. So moving forward, you know, this agreement, again, partnership, merger, acquisition, what's the right way to term it? How do you, how would you? They've called it a merger. merger? It's a a merger. Uh, Obviously, there's a a lot of, uh, you know, working out exactly how it's going to look like. Mm. But it was very interesting that the PGA Tour came out straight away and said, oh, 
we're still in control. We've got control. We're going to make all the decisions. Uh, we're going to shut down and live. We're going to punish those that went away and, you know, all this talk of we're the big seat at the table. But everyone knows the man with the money holds the power. And Yasser, even today, came out and said, it's my effing baby when he was asked about live. And you asked, well, they're making all these big plans, a five-year plan. They've got this plan and that plan. It's not going anywhere. Mm. What you'll probably see with this merger is the – haves and the have-nots on the main tour and in world golf will, if you're the top sort of 75 to 80 players in the world, you are going to make astronomical money. You've already seen it with Liv, what's happening. The top players will be able to cross over from PGA Tour, DP World Tour, Liv, whatever, including the majors where it suits. The rest will be fighting off for the right to get into designated events to play in the top majors to get starts and live and be involved in teams and whatever. That's what you'll probably see is the top absolute elite will get serious bank and the rest will keep fighting up that sort of layers of professional golf trying to get there. You, you mentioned rugby league. As long as we've grown up with rugby league, we've always had first grade and reserve grade. And and I certainly very much see, you know, an opportunity for this, you know, let's call it a reserve grade, this those right. other tier of players to be able to perform at the highest level, their highest level, and have that gain those opportunities for promotion. Um, and I can, in my vision, I can see a, a golf world where a live format and a, and a PGA Tour format can coexist and be complementary in terms of a golf product that me, the golfer, wants yep. to watch and sit down at, you know, or get up at early o'clock and stay up late at stupid o'clock and really actively engage in. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to start. Well, heaven forbid. Yeah. When it's an event that's being played in Asia, in, in our backyard, the time zone for Australia. 100%. You know, obviously Live Adelaide has proven itself to be an enormous success. Let's say the Australian Open uh, is a an official PGA Tour event one day that's on the schedule. Mm. How fantastic is that? Mm. That's what Australians have always wanted. We've always yearned to see the best of the best on our shores. And what golf needed, because it never had it, with the exception of the majors and a handful of PGA Tour events up until recently – is the best of the best don't play against each other very often. There's about five or six tournaments outside of the majors where you might see them. Mm. On that, some are playing at that event. Some of them are playing in this event. Some of them are over that part of the world. They just went where the money was. That's what they did. They took appearance fees to go and play there, then they had to play here. Or they, you know, one of them's a, like Sergio, go back and play in Spain or John Rahm. Like these things, these things make complete sense. Why can't the Spaniards see more of John Rahm on home soil. Why couldn't John Rahm live in Spain and play a global tour? Yep. Why can't Cam Smith live in Australia and play on a global tour? Why can't Hideki Matsuyama live in Japan and play on a global tour? Why do these people all have to go to America to ply their trade or earn their living? Mm. Why? It's interesting watching how uh, Valderrama have chosen to part, chosen to live as their uh, golf partner because, you know why? because they couldn't rely on having the strength of field through the DP World Tour, you know, and right. it banked on John Rahm either saying, yeah, I'll come or no, I won't come. And, you know, you, you really, if they're sitting back watching in Adelaide, for example, they think, well, I want a piece of that too. Correct. Adelaide changed the game for golf, not just for live. It changed the game for world golf because the rest of the world saw what's possible. And they all want a piece of the pie. And people say, oh, I'm a man, I'm anti-American because I, I want a global tour. And I'm like, no, 
some of my dearest friends are American. Uh, some of my uh, you know, greatest moments of my life have been enjoyed in America. I'm not anti-American. I am a global citizen. I want things to work globally. Is there something wrong with that? Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it in my books because same, you know, I share a passport of two countries. I am oh. married to a person, from a, a, a beautiful wife uh, from another part of the world where my origins are. I spend time traveling to those parts and doing golf in all of those parts. And I'd love to do golf in more of those parts. So I'm oh, very much... I'm a Canadian. Yeah. I, I'm a Canadian citizen now. I'm married to a Canadian. I live in Canada. I work in the States, but I am Australian. Yep. I am in my heart Australian. So I'm a global citizen, yeah. not one country. I'm not just American or just Australian or just Canada. I'm a, a global citizen. Remember, this is a game, and you having that Scottish roots that you talk about, mm -hmm. that's where the game was created. Yep. That's where the game grew out of Europe. America, because of the balance of power in the world, changing from United Kingdom reign to American reign, they got more money. So more players drifted across to play in America. The TV deals were enormous, so that's where the money came from. So that's where everyone went to play. Now that Saudi Arabia is going, well, I see a few billion and I'll raise you a couple of trillion. Well, look what's happening. Look what's starting to happen. All the money starting to, you know, come from the Middle East and from Asia with China and India. This balance of power that's happening in the world right now is shifting away from America. So so are sports. They won't control everything like they used to. So that's what's changed here. It's not who owns what. It's just where the money is. People go where the money goes. We live in a capitalist society. Society, whether you like it or not, that's exactly what it is. So with Adelaide, what was what's your um? How did the Adelaide broadcasting gig come about for you? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you worked with Wade uh, on that uh, Ripper GC uh, broadcast and and other parts. Mm -hmm. How did that all eventuate? Uh, I'd been back and forth uh, talking um, to Liv about doing some work for them. Uh, that's the delicate balance, you know, me being the voice of the PGA Tour video game, still wanting to broadcast majors and tour events and, again, not be the guy that's uh, seen as one or the other. I just talk about golf as playing golf because that's what I do. Um, and I was actually going to do some MC work for them at the event because I was coming to Australia for the first time since the pandemic struck three years it had been for me to finally go back and see my family. And it was the two weeks because of spring break in Canada that I could come prior to that event. I said, well, if I'm going to be down there, I'm happy to be involved. And then I got the phone call. James Watson, who's an Australian, is the executive uh, producer of Live Golf Broadcasts. Fabulously talented fella, wonderfully creative, has brought, uh, has um, uh, you know produced a, a number of go uh, events in Australia for golf or tennis or cricket. Uh, just one of those people in television who's so good, they've ended up where they should be and they're you know, going to a global audience. And he just said, listen, we want to give this team fee to go. This is going to be a massive week in Adelaide. Would you be interested in hosting? Um, and I said, the channel, the Ripper GC team feed. And I said, look, it'd be fantastic. It'd be lovely. Uh, and the, you know, Wade Ormsby, who was on that team uh, last year, which was known as Punch GC before Cam changed the name, uh, who better to be in the seat, seat behind beside me and, and help us talk us through it. Plus, Adelaide boy, plus grew up playing golf at the Grange, plus knows absolutely everything about live golf. It was the perfect person. And we had a spectacular four days. As you know, that'll be one of the great 
uh, scenes for Australian golf. Um, <clears throat> in my 25 years of being involved in the media in Australia, I've seen five things that stand above everything else. Three President's Cups, the Australian Open in 2011, which I got to host, which had all the President's Cup stars, including Tiger there at the Lakes, and this live event. So it's one of the five biggest things that's happened in Australia since Norman was in his prime. Did you did it, did it surpass your expectations? You know, when you said, yep, I'll go, and uh, did you have a vision that that's what it would be like in terms of the crowd and the crowd support? I knew Australians would go nuts for it, and when it was sold out, we knew, but no one could possibly have imagined it had gone like that. When I saw Greg Norman uh, in the compound on the Sunday, I just said, mate, unbelievable. Congratulations. You must be thrilled. And he just said, you know, thank you. It, it, you could see, see that it had really got him because wh whatever people's opinions of Greg Norman, he has and will always have Australia in his heart. Mm. And all he wants to do is keep bringing world-class golf back to Australia and helping Australian golf be great because he knows what it was like when he was in his prime. And he just said, you know what? I knew it would be like this. I knew this would happen. And it vindicated everything he's done. Uh, trying to make live be what it is, you know. He's now what twenty five years removed from trying to get that world tour up, and now look where we're heading. We're heading back down the path of a potential global tour. People want to throw Greg under the bus and demonise, you know, what he's done. But the thing, the thing about Greg, he's never strayed from that. You know, that's been his vision, his goal, and his intention through mm. for golf globally. He's obviously been incredibly successful uh, in business, and he's. Pretty much everything that he's done has turned to gold, whether it's his golf course design, architecture building, his other brands, his wines, whatever else it is. He's stayed true to that course and found found a way. But is it fair to say that he's been demonised in America? No question, but globally. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, because of this divisive world that Americans live in with their politics, you can't just think that Greg Norman's a nice fella. You've either love him or you've got to hate him in their eyes. And if you love him, we hate you. Mm. Instead of Greg cares deeply about the game that he has been one of the all-time greats at, and he cares deeply about Australia. <clears throat> and you talk about business, he's been the best businessman to have ever played professional golf. Yep, Jack's made more. Yep, Tiger's made more because they are bigger names. But Greg has literally done business better than anyone else in the history of the game. Arnold Palmer made a killing off his name and likeness. But Norman's the best businessman in golf. And <clears throat> people keep talking about, oh, who should run this new co? Who should be in charge? You know, oh, Jay's going to get rid of Greg. Greg should run. If you want it to be a success, have Greg run it. Because Greg cares about the players. Mm. He comes from the players' perspective, not from the, hey, I'm in a nice shiny flash suit, I fly privately, make $13 million a year to be a commissioner and, you know, control these talented people. But that's not what's been – that's not no. the decision that's been – uh, it's a, but it's a fair point. And, you know, usually with, with people, sports people that have been successful in, in business that have come from the sport and played the sport and, you know, bled blood in the sport, yep. it usually is a formula for success that they can have that player interest. The, the, the players are the capital here that really are the, are the show yeah. and we want yep. to see and uh, all of the stuff around gets in the way sometime. It's got to get in the way and it looks like it's gone. we've got another period of where it's going to settle down and hopefully mm -hmm. it'll work out in the fullness of time for everyone's benefit, for your benefit, for my benefit in doing this and selling golf club and, and being part of that golf eco structure that uh, benefits from what we're talking about. You know, I make a living out of golf. 
as do you. Um, right. So but I, I will jump in and say this. With what's happened off the back of the pandemic, the, the massive free kick that golf got through the pandemic, mm-hmm. now this disruption that's happened to the game, golf's never been spoken about as much as it has over the last 12 to 18 months. And that old adage of no publicity is bad publicity, golf, it's booming. (laughs) It's so many people are interested, even people that don't care the game. What's going on with this live stuff or what does this Saudi investment mean? And, you know, I get questions all the time. To me, I understand why people have an issue with it. (laughs) I do. But what it has done for the game has been as significant as Tiger Woods in his prime. Yep. That's what it's done. For that t- impact will be felt for decades. You touched on something there that I don't spend enough time sort of not giving myself credit for, but reflecting on in terms of you know, being the sense of the people. I see a lot of golf people you know, in a golf shop yeah. in right. one of Australia's bigger golf retail environments. I see golfers every day. I talk to golfers every day about golf for golf and you know what if if that's the market of the people who are watching golf and uh, and what this whole structure is all about you know the entertainment part of it and getting eyeballs on the game the majority of the people that i speak to really either don't know you know don't Mm -hmm. understand you know they don't understand this level of conversation and the the machinations behind it um they don't care they don't care no they don't care they don't want to have to worry about what's going on to make it great. They just want to see the best of the best play of the game. Yeah. Or they just want to see golf <clears throat> doing what it is. And that's really, from day one, that's what this has been all about. I still watch the PGA Tour. I'm, I'm not against the PGA Tour. I love the PGA Tour. I've watched I the, the, last the, few of, the last few events have been I, great. The Travellers was great. I barely, I barely miss a frame each week. Yeah. I'm still you know, indelibly connected to the game. Uh, I still broadcast. I've just done the PGA and, and US Open, yep. including a couple of live events. Um, <clears throat> I'm doing the PGA Tour video game again. We're going around again for another version coming up for 2025. My passion for golf has not wavered one iota through any of this. And when it all settles down and all the finger-pointing and name-calling and silliness that's gone on is over, what will shine through? The game. Mm. Exactly. Game that's the test of the time. And again, remember, we're still only talking about about a half a percent of the game. We're talking about the shop front window of the game, <clears throat> which is professional golf. But golf's been going on for three hundred plus years, and ninety nine point nine five percent of the game is just recreational golf, or top golf, or simulator golf, which you and I are invested into, or you know, mini golf that the pop stroke the Tiger's doing in this you know new Tiger TGL thing, and he and Rory are doing. Entertainment of golf is exploding, but it's still only a, a fraction of the game. Mm. Yet it all gets all the attention because it is the shop front window. These are the supermodels of the game. So everyone's attracted to it. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things there that we should talk about because I, I see that is a really strong part of this post-pandemic explosion of golf, this free kick that a lot of people uh, talk about it in terms of uh, – mm. You know, you're invested in golf. I'm invested in golf. Your business at Cangolf, it's Cangolf, isn't it? It's called, is that yeah, Cangolf. Cangolf. It's called Finchie's Bar and Grill at Cangolf, Donna, Ian, and that's our food and beverage because it's a restaurant as much as it is a, an indoor golf centre. When did you decide to get involved in the golf entertainment business at the mm-hmm. uh, coalface, uh, you could say? Okay, yeah. so 
Incredible. Um, I was doing the 2018 Ryder Cup for Turner Sports, which was doing the PGA of America coverage, which is featured groups coverage or featured match coverage or whatever. And I did 2016 at Hazeltine. I was doing 2018 uh, Le Golf National in Paris. But NBC Golf was taking over the rights to that and Turner was getting out of it. They specialise in basketball predominantly, plus they still do a little bit of golf. They do the match and a couple of other things, but they were getting out of it. So instead of sending us all over to Paris, France, they sent us down to their studios in Atlanta where the NBA is done out of uh, to do this championship or to do the Ryder Cup. And there was this glorious about golf simulator in the place that had Le Golf National on it. And uh, Billy Kratz and I were a team and we were doing stuff. And I'd say, okay, Billy, they're on the 10th. Let's go and take a look at the hole. Whole flyover. Now, this is where the tee shots are. Take us through this shot and what's challenging. And when we got off set, I said to the person that was running the simulator, I said, these simulators are outstanding these days. Before, you know, being involved in the golf industry for 20 years, they were basically just a bed sheet hanging from the ceiling with a projected image. And you'd hit a shot and you go, oh, that sort of feels, you know, hmm. normal, but not really. Um and they've now evolved into this elite product where it is so close to outdoor golf that it has replaced outdoor golf for a lot of people because of time, cost, money, access, whatever, you know, all these things that are barriers for people getting the game. And in 2019, I became I became the VP of media for About Golf. Off the back of that, I became an ambassador, then the VP of media. And in 2019, I went to the golf show down in uh, Orlando, got to experience all the other simulators and realized that these simulators are a potent thing. They're a great learning tool. They're a great instructional tool. They're a great club fitting tool. But the games, the fun, the engagement, how you can bring all these different people into the game, it's outstanding. And I thought, well, I live in one of the toughest places in the world to play golf in because there's snow on the ground for six plus months. So we our golf season up here is literally five months of the year. And I said, well, I'd like to expose people to golf year round because as an Australian, that's what I grew up in. Yep. You know, coming from Sydney, it was either, you know, really nice weather or sometimes a little colder. But we played year round. But here they literally get it's off. It ends abruptly in early October and it doesn't start again until early May. So they get that's their five months. And they'll play like a hundred rounds during that time. I thought I'll build one of these places in town. I'll put one of the, you know, five simulators in, sports bar, a nice fun indoor entertainment place so people could, you know, more people could play golf year-round or be exposed to the game perhaps that they wouldn't be if they didn't get the chance to, you know, play outside or know how to play outside. You know, women women feel incredibly uncomfortable playing golf because they get judged, they don't like the way people speak to them, you know, hurry up, pick up your ball, move on, you know, what are you doing? Um, But in a simulator... They got their space themselves. They go and have a, you know, bottle of wine and a nice charcuterie board to share, and just go and have a great couple of hours. And it's outstanding. Yeah. Kids, families, you see all them all come in and play, and you're like, this is so cool. So that is why I went down that path. And when I got back from Australia in start of 2020, within a couple of uh, events, I'd done uh, Pebble Beach and uh, Riviera. Done back to back those two. Flew home, and basically the world shut, shut down about. Uh, three weeks later. And I'm like, okay, well, I've been given this gift of time. Let's start putting this business into plan, you know, turn the plan into reality. And that's really the fortunate time for me of the pandemic was it gave me the gift of time to put this business together. Well, it, uh, it's a great business to be in. You know, I was the pilot 
uh, store for the big swing golf concept here in Australia. And, you know, we, we launched it with uh, four X golf simulators, three X golf simulators, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, it didn't have a brand name. It didn't have a franchise behind it. But, you know, we, we toiled away. You know, there was many a night where I, I sat there with the place lit up, open, with no one playing. But right. week after week, month after month, year after year, it's slowly grown in, not slowly, it's grown into a very viable, very profitable uh, arm of our business. And mm. um, and everything that you've articulated, I've seen it come to fruition. The the, the, the women playing golf, uh, we have Women's International Golf Day, we have a golf day in the store, we have coaching, we encourage uh, some of our golfing clients to bring their friends and it's just been a, a great atmosphere. We have uh, kids parties, you know, most of the simulators, that, you know, you talk about golf simulators, I talk full swing golf simulators, they have right. entertainment software, games where yeah. it's not just golf, so, um, you know, like... Darts, cornhole, beer pong, mini golf... Exactly. Soccer, you know, there's all these different things you can do on them. That it's great fun. So it's it's entertainment end to end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great business to be in. And I congratulate you for for getting involved. And obviously, one day I would definitely want to come to uh, Canmore and experience it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to stay up there. I actually got two staff members on the books now that are from uh, Calgary. Oh, perfect. Well, so, we're an hour's drive from Calgary. So just, if you've got to go and visit them, come up and tell you. Well, and I, go I, and I, I don't want to go and visit them. Right? They're working. If I go and visit them, they have to work for me. So that's that's the right. deal. They need to work right. while, while while I'm not there. But um, right. no, I can't wait to come and see it. Yeah, but the gamification of golf is a massive thing, and we've seen uh, recently, you know, the Top Golf yep. story. Yep. It's we don't have Top Golf out here. Uh, I went to Albert Park. Have you ever been to Albert Park driving range? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I went to that the other day, and the Albert Park people have spent millions on building a new facility with rooftop bars and yep. track man range and the whole lot. And it was, I think, uh, I went down to hit some balls and it was like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday or something like that. I was on, oh, I was off and, uh, the place was heaving, absolutely heaving. But this gamification of golf is, is just continuing to go. Your experience in gamification of golf's been around for a while. You know, you're the voice of, uh, you know, the PGA tour, uh, 2K23. 2K, yeah, yeah. How did, how did, yeah, uh, how, how does yeah. that go? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm not a gamer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have enjoyed playing video games occasionally in my life, but I you know, spent more time outdoors than I do indoors, so I, I don't play games as much as other people, video games. But uh, in 2018, another very pivotal time for me, um, uh, I got a call from my agent when I was heading up a chairlift here in Banff uh, skiing, um, late January, and he said, mate, can you take this call? And I said, well, you've got about a minute and a half because once I get to the top, I'm skiing back down to the bottom. He said, you're going to want to take this call. And um, I got handpicked out of 10 voices on the PGA Tour and many of the names people know, like, you know, Rich Lerner and Steve Sands and uh, some of the CBS guys, and they had a number of names that they thought about, but they chose mine. Uh, they loved the Australian accent. They loved it that I was a bit younger. Um, and it was the indie golf game, the golf club that was made out of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia in Canada by HB Studios. And it was a quite a hit amongst the cult world. But because EA Sports version of the PGA Tour had died off Rory in 2015, they said, well, why don't we try and bring a little bit of PGA Tour into it? So I became the voice of the PGA Tour aspect within that game. 
well, that did very well and they went into 2021 and um, they asked me, hey, listen, we really like that. We'd like to bring someone else into the game. Who do you recommend? And I said, well, you know, I get on famously with him. He's a phenomenal guy. He's a major champion. He's American, um, you know, knows a lot of the players still very well. Rich Bean, because uh, he's a real character. Let's, let's bring Rich in. And that game exploded because... 2K Sports came in to be the partner of it, the publisher, and it launched during the pandemic. It came out in like September of 2020. And they sold millions of copies. They were anticipating and selling maybe, you know, three quarters of a million. They sold five, six million copies of that game. And then they signed Tiger to be the face of the game for the next 10 years. And it's now, you know, metamorphosed into this enormous thing that EA Sports say, well, let's get back into golf again because look what 2K's been able to achieve with HB Studios. So, you know, it's cool to be the voice of a video game. You know, it'll be something that uh, I'll be proud of at the end of the career that I did this. Um, I, I, I get more hate mail or, you know, hey, that's really cool that you're the voice of a video game more than my broadcasting on television. <laughs> And, you know, I get to do majors and masters and PGA Tour events and live events and whatever, but they still think that that's the coolest being <laughs> on a video game or they despise me because the comments that come out they don't like. And you're like, you know, each of their own, right? But it's fascinating how many people love video games and how big esports has become. I use this analogy Every time when people ask me about video games, in 2019, when Tiger scaled Everest again and won the Masters 11 years removed from his last major championship victory, that epic moment we all witnessed, that's the biggest thing we've seen in golf. He made less than $2 million for the first prize in that. The same year, the guy who won the Fortnite World Cup was 17 years old and he made $3 million. Wow. Now, $3 million in golf is not the biggest prize anymore, but that was in 2019. Biggest sports star of all time in global, you know, of this generation in Tiger Woods, he made less winning the biggest prize in golf as the kid, a teenager who won Fortnite. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a big deal. <laughs> this is a very big deal. And you just think, you just see, you know, who's invested heavily into esports? The Saudis. Funnily enough. Well enough. Why wouldn't they be? It's going to explode. And I see a world here shortly where I'm broadcasting PGA Tour video games on uh, tournaments on the video game live in arenas while these people are playing for as much money as being the top players on the tour are making. I see that happening maybe in the next 10 years. Uh, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. Um, you know, it's a blend of screen sports and screen golf, uh, the TGL. What's your mm. what's your uh, take on, on that and how successful will that be and, and what's that going to bring to uh, the viewers' uh, screens? Can't wait, and I'm sure you can't either. As someone who owns uh, a business that has indoor golf or simulator golf uh, happening, I can't wait for it to come out because those that are uh, – old school golf or, you know, traditionalists, they, they rubbish screen golf. Oh, this is ridiculous. You know, go and play outside. You know, and learn elements and wind and all this. You're like, wind is on the screen. Uh, uneven lies are on the screen. Shaping shots is on the screen. Everything you want to do is still on the screen. Um, they're going to see that these things are actually legit now. Simulators are phenomenal and getting to see the best players in the world, having fun competitions on it and doing stuff like that in, in front of a live audience, it's going to be great for 
a our businesses and the business of golf entertainment. But it'll be it'll it'll introduce so many more people. And I think most of those traditionalists who rubbish it will start to see past that. Hang on, I should open my eyes a bit more to this. Yeah. Well, I've got the benefit of having the simulator brand Full Swing Golf that has Tiger's face on the screen every time you turn it on, uh, and mm. that you know just. It immediately just having Tiger's face on there as people walk in and see it brings an, no, another level of uh, interest and information and, and sincerity about mm. it. So I can't uh, wait to see that. But, you know, I know Tiger, well, I don't know Tiger, but I know from the full swing golf people, when he's invested in something, it doesn't happen unless it's 100% Tiger spot on perfect yep. you know the example being the launch of this new full swing kit launch model which is like a competitor to the track mans and that you know it was available for uh, the story was it was ready but until tiger could hit his three four five six or seven and hit it exactly to the number that he could say that's 167 and turn around and see 167 until he could get the consistency of that it was yep. never going out into a bag so you right. know, this... it was like remember when he was uh, testing those nike clubs yeah when manufacturing the nightclub, it was like, no, this doesn't feel right. This is not hit. No, I, this is the way it should come out. And they finally got it to being exactly how he wanted. He he goes all in when he's invested into something or he's interested in something. He goes all in. Yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to see that. Um, mm. Yeah, your recent uh, commentary gigs. Uh, we had the pleasure of listening to you on the international feed at the PGA, uh, Brooks, run by Brooks Kepka, and uh, more, more recently at LACC, where Wyndham Clark picked up uh, the U.S. Open. Mm. Must have. Were you on course there with Shane Bacon or was that remote? No, we, no, we were there. Course, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was incredible. Um, that golf course, um, the way the US Open's now evolving from these corridor, tree line, massively thick, rough fairways to width, expansion, angles, sand belt type courses you'll see it with pinehurst number two again next year lacc you know oh everyone's blowing oh there's so much width on the fairways you're like um it's not they're not as wide as you think because you've got to hit on the right spots otherwise you're gonna have a very tough second shot you can't perhaps hit the green from the fairway on some of these holes i loved lacc uh have that have had the privilege of playing there back in 2016 got to play a riv i got to play Bel Air while I was there. Those experiences are wonderful. Um, and I just love that the world got to learn or see a bright new star in Wyndham Clark. I, I love that golf, you know, the biggest thing that in golf media that has bothered me for the last 15, 20 years is it hangs its hat on about five names. Mm. It was Tiger for such a long time. You had Phil, DJ comes along, everyone gets excited about that. Then Rory comes along, then everyone gets excited about that. Then Jordan comes along, everyone gets excited about that. And you're like, every single player out here on tour is better than anyone you've ever met in your life. Better than any player in your club, better than anyone else. Unless you've met one of these tour pros, you have no idea how good they are. Yep. But you think that they're enough because you've never heard their name or why are they doing here? And you're like, we need to celebrate all the players who have made it onto the biggest tours in the world because they are exceptional. The average handicap of a PGA Tour pro now, someone who's like 100, 120th, is about a plus 10. Mm. A plus 10. Ram and uh, uh, McElroy and uh, Cam Smith and Brooks Kepka and all these superstars of the game right now, Scotty Scheffler, they're about a plus 13, plus 14. That is how much talent is in the game these days. But we only talk about four or five players all the time. Yeah. Let's talk about them all. So the fact that Wyndham Clark stood up and beat 
Rory McIlroy to win a US Open when Rory's playing great golf. He he won it. Rory didn't lose it. Yeah. Wyndham won it. Yep. We get another name to celebrate. Brilliant. I love that about golf. Uh, how happy were you? You know, it's not a new name. It's one of maybe one of those names that we tend to always want to talk about, but we've not talked about it for a couple of years because he hasn't been playing that well. But uh, the resurgence of Ricky, uh, how, right. happy, how happy were you about that? Awesome, because he's such a great fella. Yeah. You want, you know, the game of golf has kicked every single player, Ian yeah. Baker Finch. Yep. You know, it humbled him. It humbled him. But he's still a champion, still loves the game. You know, the fact that Ricky's been able to find it again, you're stoked for him. Jason Day, he's bounced back again. You know, that Ricky, Rory, Jason Day, I remember doing their uh, group um, as the young gun group at the 2011 Masters that Rory lost on the back nine on Sunday. You know, this was the their introduction to golf, and here we are, 2023, and Ricky's coming back, and Jason's coming back, and Rory's, you know, trying to win that next major. Um, I, I love that golf... They're always having to work on it. And the great quote, and I remember it from a couple of years back mm. from one of the, the um, uh, people attached to the tour, not a famous name, said, in golf, you're sometimes the windscreen, but most often you're the bug. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true. Yep. Look what Tiger's been through. Yep. It's humbled them all. And I love that, you know, people go through, and so the people who play at home for, you know, five bucks uh, every nine holes with their mates. They go through one day they shot 75, the next day they couldn't break 90. Well, the guys on the PGA Tour go through that as well. So exactly. that's pretty cool at the elite level of the game. Yeah. yeah. I want to let you go in a second because I know you've got a big event uh, happening there at uh, the centre. But we've just seen the announcement of the President's Cup. Now, I don't mm. think it was any any secret that it was going to, to Kingston Heath. Uh, but I'm going for a game of golf today at Peninsula Kingswood on the north course where, where you and I first met and we played yeah. golf. I've got a, I've actually, I've actually got a great, <laughs> I've actually got that great moment here, which is probably old for the listeners because they hear me play it a little bit, but here it is. Delicate little wedge by Ross Flanagan into the third here at Peninsula Kingswood. And oh, this is beautifully played. Can it go in the bucket? Oh, what a shot. <laughs> now, Do you hit that? He played well all day, but geez, that was a great little wedge. It yeah. was it was a great day to uh, be out in the links and yeah, talk about Finchie. Finchie was there on the you know yeah. a couple of holes ahead. Yeah, yeah, so many, so many people there. Now, yeah. I was very very buoyant about Peninsula Kingswood, uh, yeah, and their pitch and their pitch yeah. for the Presidents Cup. Excuse my dog barking. Um, <laughs> I actually got a couple of messages from or one message from an Australian player that said as far as we know, that it's going to PK. Now, I'm not sure mm. if I should say that or not, but this was obviously a long time ago. Um, mm. It's gone to Kingston Heath. You know, I think the world needs to see Kingston Heath on the grand stage, oh, but I would right. have I would have loved to see it at a pencil Kingswood, to be honest. Maybe maybe the next one in 10 years' time or whatever that's going on, maybe it hosts this epic, you know, Australian Open that turns into sort of something way bigger than what it is again uh, that happens in, you know, Maybe it happens there. So these are the kind of things that I think the Peninsula Kingswood should look forward to, that some bigger events are going to start to happen there. The spectacular 36-hole property that you're a member of, they've got the space. That's what a lot of these places need. You know, LACC, it has the 36 holes. You've got LACC North and the South Course. So that, that helps the infrastructure. Kingston Heath is, you know, and Ian Baker Finch says it's his favourite 18-hole golf course in the world. Mm. And that makes sense because, um, you know, it's spectacular. It is just brilliant. On a relatively flat piece of land to be able to deliver a golf course that magnitude, 
be great. You're delighted that the rest of the world gets to see it because most of the Americans I speak, they're like, oh, I've got to go play a Royal Melbourne. You're like, yes, you do, but you've also got to play Kingston Heath, Victoria, Commonwealth, um, Metro, PK, you know, there's so many sandbelt courses. You just roll them out. Got to play. Then you got to get down and to the Mornington Peninsula and play the National and get round over to King Island and down to Tasmania and Barnboogle and all these things. There's so much world class golf in Australia. You could get lost there for a month, not play the same golf twice, and have the time of your life. And you want Americans and other people of the world to be exposed to that. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be great to have uh, the Presidents Cup back. We saw it in tw- uh, 2019, and uh, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on want to forecast who might be the uh, President's Cup captain in Australia at that time? So, I don't think you have to try too hard to guess who it will be. Adam Scott? Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to try too hard. I hope the game's unified uh, in a big way and that there's not, you know, uh, that a person like Cameron Smith can't play in it or, mm. you know, great stars who are over at uh, different tours or whatever. Um, I'm sure it will be, you know, by then. But, uh, I don't think I'm giving too much away that obviously Mike Weir being in Canada, uh, I believe that Jeff Ogilvie will be the captain the next time it's on US soil. Uh, I've forgotten where it's going to after that, but you know it, it'll be a no-brainer that Adam Scott will be the captain of that Presidents Cup team unless something in the game changes. Uh, well, is that something that you'll still put your hand up for if the uh, time is right and the availability is right and the stars line up that you'll be down here? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, you, you want to do the big championships. That's You want to do the big events. That's something that, you know, I got to be in 2019 for the Presidents Cup when I was there again. I, you don't want to miss those things. That's the joy of it. Uh, I'll be honest, I got tired of the day-to-day grind of travel now that I've got two boys, you know, 10 and 6, and uh, we're in this lovely stage of life where I want to be around my family all the yeah. time. I've travelled so much. You know, I've been in media for 30 years that I, I really only want to do about 8 to 10 events every year, to be honest. That's all I want to do. A few majors. A uh, few big events and things that sort of grab me because running this business, as you know, uh, takes a lot more than what people think. Um, I've also got a real estate investment company that I own as well, and you know, still broadcasting brings me joy. So if I can do the big ones, you beauty. If I miss out, I get to enjoy them as a fan, like everyone else, and that'll be fantastic as well. Luke. I'll I'll let you go. It's been absolutely great to finally get uh, to do this uh, again. And, and this um, one will see the light of day too. This, one will, this one will <laughs> see the light of day. And I, I really do appreciate uh, the time that you gave me at uh, Live Golf Adelaide. We had a great chat and sat there and watched the fireworks on the Oval together. Yeah. It was a little bit of a moment. Yeah, cool. um, I appreciate your time now. Uh, I look forward to seeing uh, and hearing about all of the success of the centre there and um, and can you continuing to uh, – follow you along on your Twitter journey and uh, mm. I'm a supporter and uh, I'm behind you and uh, let's let's keep uh, in contact, eh? Love it, Ross, and thank you for all your insights into the, you know, indoor golf simulator world that I can learn from because um, that's the beauty of this industry. We, we, we share insights, information and the passion for the game, uh, whether it's playing it or being invested in it or being a fan of it. Um, that's who we are. So if anyone's out there going, well, I hate this guy because he, you know, thinks it lives okay um, stop we're all the same people we love the game of golf you know and for 40 years i've been playing this game and i've traveled all around the world playing it and i can count on one hand the amount of people i'd not like to play with again yep that's it 
It is a game that bonds us all. doesn't matter where you are. And if I was to meet you on a golf course, we'd have a spectacular time. We'd have a a, a fantastic day out. It's not what your politics are or what your beliefs are or, you know, it's just people enjoying a great game that's been around for centuries. Well, I hope to meet you on a golf course again and uh, give you the opportunity to win back the lunch that I won off you and Jamie Glazier that particular day. Uh, Formidable, your performance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Too kind. Uh, Mate, I really do appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on the Mile of Golf Podcast. Pleasure, Ross. Love to be with you. We'll catch up again soon.